0: Fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal, overload with southern hospitality Hard that murder, mayhem Tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Happy that goes bump at night Overthinking if you be by yourself These two are have Turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy To make sure it all fits in just right Hey Welcome to Hillbilly
1: Horror Stories. Now, here's your hosts, Jerry and Tracy
2: Paul, and their dogs, Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 290 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy. Jerry. Woo! woo So, obviously, we've got a brand new story for you. has been a couple of weeks since we were able to do that. I'm a little nervous about reading my own writing because it's been about three weeks since I've had to read my own writing. <laughs> and and I'll be honest with you, I hope I don't stumble with this story because typically I have just gotten through writing it when we read it. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to have to go back literally two weeks ago and try to remember as I go and hopefully I don't stumble along the way.
1: Well, you'll be all right.
2: Obviously, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks for everything you men, women, and service animals do for us every day.
1: God bless you guys so much. We pray for you every day. Thank you for keeping us safe, and we pray for you all to be safe, and hopefully you can come home soon. Thank you for being our angels.
2: Well, Tracy, you know, even though we've definitely had a tough couple of weeks ourselves. We have. Um... There's definitely people out there that have had it harder.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. And
2: uh, we've still continued to talk to people, uh, even though we weren't as active on social media or what have you. We've still had some people that we've talked to, and, and we know that it just, you know, it, it depression doesn't take time off. It doesn't. So, you know, we just want people to know that no matter what you're going through, even, you know, sometimes we might not have been as readily, readily available the last couple of weeks and that's why we're so glad that we've got a group of over 5,300 people that are mm-hmm. ready to step in in a moment's notice Amen. and help you out if you just need to talk to somebody. Yeah. So we want to thank everybody uh, who's pitched in, uh, not just in the last couple of weeks, but as long as that group has been there to, to Always. step in and help out our fellow man, our fellow listeners. Thank you for you guys. You don't get the credit you deserve.
1: Absolutely. You guys are amazing. We couldn't do this without you guys. You know, we 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 were kind of in a uh, our own little state of mind in this last couple of weeks, to be honest. And so we're just trying to climb up out of that hole a little bit. But you guys have been there, and we appreciate y'all so much. Um, so like Jerry said, you know, you can always call us. You always have the group to go to. Um, if you would rather call the 800 number, it's 1-800-273-8255. And you can text them at 741-741. And we have had several people say, you know, they hey, they, they really are there. They picked up right off the bat, got right back with us. So just know that there's a lot of people out here that love you guys so much. And we're here for you. So just remember, guys, we love you. We got some sunny days and spring's coming around the corner before you know it. So, lots to look forward to, guys.
2: Absolutely. All right. So, I want to jump into this story. Tracy, we haven't done too many shows on Battlefields. lately. we haven't done too many shows on anything. But, (laughs) (laughs) we haven't done too many on Battlefields. And obviously, like we did Gettysburg. That's the main one that everybody knows about. And uh, we also haven't done too many stories on that involve forts. Now, obviously, we have done a few of them. I love the Old West uh, stories. Mm-hmm. It just seems like there's just something about them that are different. Yeah,
1: they always seem really yeah, interesting they're, for they're sure. they're just
2: different than, mm-hmm. than other types of hauntings. And I think I wanted to try to dive into a couple of these different subjects. So with that being said, I figured we could take care of a couple of these in back to back episodes. And we're going to start off with Fort Laramie. Right. And then next week, we're going to go to the Battle of Little Bighorn. Okay. Which was, you know, Custer and all that. So, and after this uh, story on Fort Laramie, I've got an interesting conversation I had with Zevin Odelberg from uh, Kinda Murdery. Mm-hmm. He's moving. Oh. From, well, he's actually made the move now, but he, he's moving from. His home in L.A. to San Diego, but there's a lot of strange stuff that happened that kinda led him to believe that uh, maybe the spirits in that house did not want them to make the move. And, uh, the he,
1: move to the new house or yeah, the old house?
2: The people, from, the spirits from the old house
1: did not want him to move. No. Oh wow! Fits.
2: So he comes on, and talks about that. So we'll after this uh, Fort Laramie story, you'll be able to hear Oh, cool, Seven man. Tell that story. Okay. All right. Are we ready to get started? Let's do it. Fort Laramie is a national historical site in Laramie, Wyoming. Hence the name.
1: Laramie. Makes sense.
2: From March 1834 until March of 1890, Fort Laramie served as the hub of expansion into the Northwest. If you went to the Northwest, you went through Fort Laramie.
1: Yes, the only way you could get there, I guess. Pretty much.
2: Wagon trains and other caravans on most of the major trails, including the California Trail, the Oregon Trail, and the Bozeman Trail, all passed through the gates of Fort Laramie.
1: Wow, that's a lot of stuff
2: there. Some historians have even called this the Queen of the Frontier Forts. I don't know who the king was.
1: Queen of the big frontier.
2: Fort Laramie actually started out as an early fur trading post, until the last assembly of the U.S. Army troops on the parade ground. Today, Fort Laramie is a national historic site that is dedicated to the preservation of history. Many people from all over the world visit the site every single year, and several of the full-time workers and tour guides insist that the old fort may still be alive.
1: That's awesome.
2: Retired ranger and caretaker Mike Calajon, he worked at the fort from 1971 to 1985. He said that after so many years, you see and hear so many kinds of things that nothing surprises you. You don't say anything because people would think that you're batty. But I've seen things and so have others. Calajon remembers one time at Quarters A, also known as the Captain's Quarters. He said that that's a two-story building and it has an unusual presence within its walls. It was built as a duplex so that separate families could live there in the same building. Mm-hmm. Heavy doors were built into the front and the back and both sides with heavy deadbolt locks. So these doors ain't going nowhere. Part of his responsibilities back when he worked there was to lock up each night. In the winter months, there was fewer visitors, obviously, yeah. because it's freezing up in Wyoming. Right, But there was fewer visitors, and as the sun went down, the area was extremely dark. Therefore, the workers had very little reason to kind of hang around after closing hours.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I'd be getting the heck out of Dodge.
2: On numerous occasions, Calajon would be the last employee left on the entire complex. No. (laughs) He would often walk into quarter A with his big flashlight only to meet up with the unexplained. He would walk through the front door on the east side of the building. Mm -hmm. Then he would lock the door behind him. Then he would go down the hallway to the back door and lock that door. He would then go through the other side from the back to the front and lock those doors. So we're all locked up now. A lot of times, he would come out of the east side of the building to find a surprise. The first door would not only be unlocked, but standing wide (gasps) open. And remember, these had deadbolts on them.
1: Yeah, because, yeah, yeah.
2: So you didn't just have regular locks, you had deadbolts. That's not something that just accidentally Mm -hmm. comes open. At first, he said that this kind of confused him. And then when he thought about it, it startled him. He knew that these doors were locked as he went. So there was no way. And if he was the only person on site,
1: there's nobody
2: that could have done that.
1: Yeah, so now he knows that there's somebody in there.
2: So he made a concerted effort in the future to double check the locks Mm -hmm. before he moved to the next door. To him, it was obvious that someone unseen was living in Quarters A, and it didn't stop with the unlocked doors. He started to hear noises upstairs on the second floor and in the attic. These sounds could be heard in the daytime as well as the nighttime hours. Numerous investigations of the sounds always turned up. The same result. No one was there. Calzone said that one night, Whatever it was really got to him. He was making his rounds with his flashlight. He entered quarter A. He locked the front door and then the first part of the building. As he got about 10 feet from the back door, he felt someone grab him and slap him on the back. He swung the flashlight around and he said he was prepared to just hit whoever it was. Mm -hmm. But there was no one there.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: This happened several more times before he decided he needed to do something about it. Of course, reporting it was not an option.
1: Well, yeah, because I probably wouldn't believe it. Right.
2: So he decides to give the entity a name and see if he could somehow communicate with it. So he names it George. The entity's name is George? That's what he named it.
1: Oh. Well, maybe he could become friends with it, I guess. Right? I guess that's
2: what he's banking on. So he would say, George, if you want to go out or come in, will you please do it before I lock these damn doors? (laughs) I have to keep these doors locked. (laughs) He said that, and he said that he thought it seemed to work. He had less trouble keeping the doors locked after he had had this conversation and named it. It seems, though, that sometimes George would forget and go back to his mischievous ways, and he would need to be reminded. Sternly. (laughs) (laughs) The spirit in Quarter A, though, seems to have an officer's personality. They think this because whatever the entity is seems to want control of the structure. This is also true of another building on the grounds called Old Bedlam. Old Bedlam was built in 1849 and it was housing for the bachelor officers. It eventually would become post headquarters. Old Bedlam was the scene of many historic decisions involving Native American warfare and uh, escorting wagons and trains and stuff like that through hostile Mm territories.
0: In 1863
2: to 64, Colonel William O'Collins was the first commander there. He and his wife lived on the second floor of Old Bedlam. Now, the building was the center of social life at the Post during this time, so that's where all the parties and stuff were also. This is how the building actually came to be known as Old Bedlam. So I guess there's all kinds of crap going on. (laughs) Employers aren't exactly sure of Colonel Collins, if it's him, or another ranking officer that um, likes to cause havoc within the building. But there's no doubt that the eeriness comes from decision making that still exists in the building.
1: They've always got to be in charge, don't they? Right.
2: Two young women who worked there during the summer months, they remember one Sunday afternoon, they were sitting there, it was 1985, they had an encounter. They were sitting on the upper level of the balcony. They were just laughing, talking, just mm-hmm. you know, having conversation during one of the breaks. Suddenly, there was a loud knock on the window directly behind them as I over Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> they both turn around, And they saw the curtains drawn and the figure of a man, a cavalry officer in uniform, looking directly at them through the window.
1: Oh, they're in trouble.
2: He yelled, be quiet. We're having a meeting in here. Stop. Then he vanished.
1: Oh. (laughs) One of
2: the women sprained her ankle running down the stairs but didn't feel the pain until she was safely away from the building. Then she collapsed and nearly went into shock.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, can you imagine? I don't know. That's, true. That's pretty bad when the dead have to come and tell you to be quiet because yeah. you're talking too loud. About
2: not wait to dead. <laughs> <laughs> Calzone says that there are a lot of stranger things that most people wouldn't believe until it happens to you, and then you know that it's not your imagination. So... Several workers and former workers say that this Calvary Barracks, which is Bedlam, seems to have a life all of its own. Most occurrences are typically at dawn. You can hear the heavy stomping on the wooden boardwalk as if a number of heavy boots were uh, walking and running up and down and like they were in a hurry to get someplace. Yeah. The sounds end as quickly as they started. Many seem to think that it's the sound of ghost soldiers answering Reveille, and that's why it's happening at dawn. The sound is unmistakable, almost thunderous on the old boardwalk, but the listeners look out to see no one there.
1: Nobody's there. Man, that's so awesome.
2: Employees are not the only ones to have strange experiences. Visitors have had unexplainable encounters as well. Several visitors each year report seeing or feeling something strange on their visit. One man who had a college degree in care and psychological treatment of abused children, he said that his visit left him visibly shaken and depressed. He got a very strange sensation while standing in the ruins of the old uh, colonel's quarters. He told the tour guides that he just knew that something from the distant past had happened there in some type of a form of child abuse. Oh, that's And it was sad. really hitting him. Hmm. Just exactly what, he wasn't sure, but it was some sort of horrible child abuse. He didn't see it or hear anything. He just felt it.
1: Well, that's pretty specific to just yes. feel something like that.
2: This seemed, there seems to be a lot of strong energy and emotion from the past that kind of lingers on the premises, even in the rebuilt section of Fort Laramie residents of the town of fort laramie and all along the oregon trail are aware that something strange is going on there it's also known that fort laramie ghosts don't stay in fort laramie
1: well i mean what do you mean
2: well that the whole area right there because you got like i said you got the uh, oregon trail and all that all branch off of there Mm -hmm. so in fact the oldest spirit here can be seen riding a black horse every seven years. It's a woman in a green riding dress. And that this story actually predates any of the other Fort Laramie stories.
1: I wonder why it's only every seven years.
2: Well, I don't know, but I'm going to tell you the story. Oh. story goes back to 1871. There was a lieutenant by the name of James Nicholas Allison. He arrived at the fort from West Point, and he was going to take over the cavalry. He was well-known, well-liked. All the officers loved him, and he became a hit of the social functions at the fort. Of course, we told you that uh, Old Bedlam was where all the social functions Mm -hmm. took place. He also loved wolf hunting.
1: He liked what? Wolf hunting. Oh, (laughs) that's what I thought you said.
2: (laughs) So he he was asked one day to join one of the afternoon hunts. He took out his trusty dog and all the other hunters, and they spread out all over the area beyond the fort. He was later separated from the group and decided to return to the ford on his own. And as he was heading back, he sees a woman on horseback wearing a very fancy green riding dress. She was traveling on the Oregon Trail. Now, she had this very long, beautiful, pinned up hair under a, a black veil covering her face. So Allison was surprised, obviously. He didn't know why a woman would be way out here all on her own. Well, that's what I was going to say.
1: Herself. I don't know. Why would she be by herself?
2: He didn't recognize her from being from the fort, so that
1: mm-hmm. not
2: tell us who she was. The horse was at a gallop, so he assumed that she may be in some kind of danger. Mm-hmm. He started to give chase. Though he tried to call out and catch up with her, she kicked her horse into high gear and pretty much created some distance. So Allison in all the excitement said screw her and the horse she rode in on. <laughs>
1: okay. that's I'm, I'm sure that's what she said.
2: Anyway, he, in his, in all of excitement, he hadn't noticed that when he gave chase that his dog didn't. His dog didn't follow him. He sent, kind of just stayed back there just kind of pacing and whining as he rode off. Because
1: the dog sensed something was weird, I guess. Probably
2: so. So he continued to pursue the young woman. But she was so far ahead that she wandered went over the hill and he lost track of her. So he went ahead and keep keep pushing and he rode to the top of the hill to try to figure out Which why she hadn't stopped. Mm-hmm. And he looked around and he couldn't find anyone. More peculiar was the fact that there were no tracks on the trail. So he should have been able to notice yeah. some tracks where she was riding. He began to question if he actually saw the woman or not. and Maybe he was just, you know, the heat was getting to him or something. After all... There was nothing at all to indicate that he had seen the woman. There was no tracks. He don't have her. He don't see her. Whatever the deal was, he just decided to start riding back to his dog. And there's the dog still waiting there, whining and just kind of crying. He was actually amazed that the dog didn't follow him and he actually stayed put. All right. But that amazement actually turned into concern as he could see that the dog was visibly shaken. Oh. This made Allison believe that he had just possibly seen a ghost. There was no other explanation. So he gets back to the fort. All the other officers from the hunt are asking, hey, what took you so long? Why Why, did, why were you gone? And they were worried about, obviously, what was going on, and they had sent some people out to look for him. Right. And um, Did he pass up? Yeah, he hesitated a little bit. But finally he gave in and, and told the story of the lady with the green dress on the on the black horse. He explained how she wouldn't let him approach her. And uh, one of the officers looked at Allison and said, yeah, the lady in green, she's a ghost that rides around here. Every seven years, she rides. But that doesn't mean that you've had bad luck if you see her. Because, you know, you would right. think sometimes if you see her, oh, no, it's an omen or something. But that's not the case. They made, that made Allison feel much better. Well, yeah, I'm sure like it
1: did, in a kind of crazy way. Right.
2: <laughs> Plus, he knew that he hadn't lost his mind, mind yeah. you know. Still, the vision bothered him, and he learned that the legend of the lady in green went all the way back at least 20 years prior. The young woman had been an officer's daughter there at Fort Laramie. She was brought here when the fort converted from the fur trading spot to the military fort. Now we've all heard this story, so but I'll say it. so you could probably guess what happened, her dad was a big shot there at the funeral. at um, the funeral the guy, <laughs> at the fort. <laughs> they were there at the fort. She wanted to marry somebody. Her father did not approve, so she for- decided that she was just going to get on her horse and take off riding. She became angry, took off. She had a a habit of riding out past the fort against her father's wishes anyway. So during one of these little rides, she never returned, and she was never found. It wasn't until the local Sooth uh, tribes started telling stories of a lady in green riding a black horse that the locals assumed that she must have passed away, Uh and that was her spirits. She must have felt compelled to ride her horse even in death so from the lady in green until present day the memories of the past have been strong at fort laramie and the fort shows evidence that the old west is still always even in the new west
1: well you know these parents that don't approve of their children's uh uh marriages marriages yeah they should all know whether it's this age or the age back then that if you forbid them to do something, they're going to do it anyway.
2: That's pretty much how it worked, unless you're like that woman we talked about the other day that locked her daughter up for twenty five years. Well, that's In the true. House. That
1: was that's probably an exception to the rule, <laughs> but just I just don't I don't understand that, and so they never found her. Never found a body. Never found nothing. Nothing. Well, you know, and and, and how how randomness it have to be that she rides every seven years yeah, that somebody the, would see her
2: i don't know what the other seven years is i don't know where the every why why it's every seven years i never saw anything about that part of the story so maybe it's just too tiring to do every six years i don't know
1: mm. oh i th- those stories are so sad and really it's ridiculous that half these young people ended up killing themselves or whatever over the love that their parents don't approve of. Get over it.
2: That's our wow. thing, awesome. but it goes all the way back to Romeo and Juliet. So I mean, amazing.
1: I know that's crazy, and look how that ended. That's that was stupid.
2: <laughs> you should be a first. She died.
1: Then she really didn't die or whatever, and then she ended up having to die because she thought he was dead, and he really wasn't dead. It, what all was that about?
2: I think you need to go back and reread the story. Well, I know how it's Anyways. Said.
1: I know why. I mean, I know how it went, but.
2: <laughs> or at least go back and watch the movie. Um, we had to
1: watch that in high school. Romeo and Juliet. Oh. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just it's just so weird. It, but it is funny. Like I'm saying, it's, it's times really haven't changed. You know? Right. Forbid it, she's going to end up pregnant with three kids and all this other stuff.
2: would be like Roseanne.
1: Yeah. Whether you like it or not. So,
2: All right. We're going to take a quick sponsor break. And then uh, we'll be back with uh, a few announcements. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this past week. I wanted to save that for the kind of the middle part. And um, then uh, we got Zevin Odelberg on to talk about his uh, haunting experience trying to leave a house. <laughs> okay. Okay, guys. Uh, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, these live events. Now, Tracy and I have I been have been discussing some changes that are going to take place in our life. We won't get into that right now. But I can almost guarantee you that this is going to be the last year of us having a full slate of live events. Because, yes, uh, It is? Yes. We'll discuss it more later.
1: Oh, my God. You don't... I don't know what you're talking about.
2: Okay. Then I guess we'll talk about more stuff. We're probably moving to Florida at the beginning of next year. That's the plan. Oh. And if we move to Florida, we're not really going to be centrally located to all these places to go drive, do live events. So...
1: We, we'll still get a couple in.
2: Well, we might get a couple in, but it's not going to be a full slate, like six, seven, eight shows. It won't be because we'll have to drive 10 hours to get it to any place, mm. which is why Florida doesn't work out well for that for us. But anyways, that's uh, my subtle way of saying if uh, you want to see a live event, you might as well jump on the ones that are for sale now. So. <laughs> Louisville has already got a good amount of sales. I
1: cannot wait for that, for one. that show. I That's cannot, gonna be cannot <clears throat> wait. Us
2: for Ohio, Mysterious Circumstances. Yeah. It's going to be a blast. Um, yeah, you got to see that. The cruise, <clears throat> sorry, the cruise is still uh, got tickets being sold. I talked to Robin the other day from Vacation Experts. He said there's. Still, I think we got almost 200 people booked. Oh,
1: that's so amazing. You guys are so awesome.
2: That's going to be awesome. We
1: can't wait for that either. The
2: anniversary show with Annie Weebs and, and uh, Brendan Shea from from Serial Spirits. They've got some new stuff they're getting ready to go on with their show. And uh, she's going to be on here in the next couple of weeks to talk about this heart-wrenching story that she shared with me earlier tonight. And um, it's uh, you guys are going to really enjoy this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's one of those that pulls at the heartstrings and... It's fascinating at the same time. I got um, a couple of the news shows, but just go to HibleyHorrorStories.com. See all the live events going on. You can get your tickets there. The Indianapolis show is going to be in July. So that's we got a lot going on. Let's make it happen. Let's have some fun with it. I got some good interviews coming up for you guys. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen the TV show Haunted on Netflix, the very first episode, I'm telling you now, so you can go watch it. Very first episode involves a young lady named Erin. She's gonna uh come on the show this week. Uh-huh. And then uh Amy Bruni. You all yes. know Amy from uh-huh. uh Kindred Spirits and she's got a new podcast out that's part of Erin uh Mankey's uh Grim and Mile group called uh, Haunted Roads. And um She's going to come on and talk a little bit about that in Kindred Spirit. So I get to talk to both of those young ladies this week. Yeah, fun. And so, yeah, Very it's going to, be a, going to be a blast. Tracy, what do we got going on over there?
1: All right, guys. So bear with me over here. Our iTunes, we have Shotgun Killer, Sarah K. Mitch, Jilly Bean 3636, Ozarks Girl 40, Karen Schull, Mojo Lobster, M homes Angela B. hang on guys Angela B uh water for ya. Ashley I never say her name right Newton Newton is it Newton white fox 122 wrench 1959. And something with a thousand alphabetical. So I'm gonna say the struggle bus, <laughs> <But> that's <not laughs> the struggle really what it bus. is. Thank you guys for your reviews. They were so awesome and much needed this week, and put a smile on our faces. You know, while we were a little down. Our patreons. We have Phil and Sherry Davenport, Ruth Dempsey, Laura Gilchrist, Kai Hollick, Carlos Moron, Andy Mansager.
2: Did you say Carlos Moron
1: Moran? Did I say that?
2: I don't know. Let's go with that.
1: Oh, sorry. Sorry, Carlos. <laughs> sorry. We love you. Uh, Sarah Muller. Debbie Ruppel, Roppolo. R-O-P-P-O-L-O. Roppolo. Um, uh, Mary Jim Reeves. Mindy Hall. Jennifer Guthrie. And Amy Henderson. You guys totally rock. Thank you guys so much for your support. It means the world to us. You don't even know.
2: Yes. And before we listen to... Uh Zevin's conversation, I want to take this opportunity to thank Leslie Fear. hmm Leslie helped out. You know, we had just started uh, before, all, before we got sick with COVID. We had just started and did the very first episode of Eerie Encounters. It's something I've been working on for a while. I was very proud uh, to put it out. And then all of a sudden, just couldn't even sit up at the computer. And that's literally how bad it was for me. And I know everybody's different with COVID, but like I literally recorded an episode with Amanda for the other podcast. And as taxing as that is on a normal circumstance, (laughs) um, (laughs) literally, and and this is not an exaggeration, it was due out the next day, which was Wednesday. All I had to do was set it to computer, upload it and write in the description. It's a 5 minute process at most. It took me a day and a half to get that done cuz I couldn't sit up for 5 minutes long enough to even do that.
1: No. It was bad. I was really really worried for Jerry. I've never seen him so sick in my life.
2: Yeah, I just couldn't do anything. I mean, I don't care how bad I've ever been before. I could always do what needed to be done. Yeah. And uh so I couldn't record and and so we didn't get I didn't get to put out my second episode of here encounters and, and then after missing that entire week of not doing that or, um, uh, um, functioning, functioning. <laughs> but, but dead time stories, I didn't get a chance to, to write or put out an episode of that. And it just, it bothers me to not be able to put out the shows that we put out on a weekly basis. And, uh, the regular episodes, the last two weeks, we had to use Patreon episodes, which I don't do, like to use unless we absolutely have to, but just wouldn't up for it. I mean, the episode that we did tonight, that was written two weeks ago. It was Mm -hmm. there. couldn't, didn't have the breath to string sentences together longer than the little bit that we just did last week. Yeah. But uh, like I said, Leslie uh, kept asking what she could do. She's so great like that. And I said, you know what? I got a couple of stories. I just can't read them if you can read them. And of course, she knocked it out of the park. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to this last episode that came out Thursday of Eerie Encounters, um thank you leslie for uh pitching in and helping on that and zevin offered to jump in and yeah, uh, we had so many sweet. so many people offered to jump in and help yeah and uh like i was telling leslie if you only know how hard it is for me to relinquish any bit mm-hmm. of what i do i just you know and but times like this it kind of bites you in the ass yeah but yeah. luckily we have great friends and we have great listeners who were patient with us and um we'll we'll put some stuff in um we will try to put some stuff in in order to where we don't. If we have a situation where we get sick in the past or in the in the future, that we don't have a situation where we're just behind. But we everything we do is up to minute. Yeah. I mean, if we the, the episode that you're hearing right now, we literally just got through recording. Mm-hmm. So we have nothing in the bank for <laughs> for the future, and that's just that when you run into a situation like this, that's where it runs into problem. But we want to thank all of you guys for being patient with us. And uh, I promise we'll make up for it.
1: Yeah. Thank you guys. We love y'all so much.
2: All right, let's listen to Zevin. Hey guys, we got old friend uh, Zevin Odeberg from kind of murdery podcast. And uh, it's going to, it's going to all tie in together here. But if you listen to Zevin's show, you notice he hasn't put out a, put out a lot of brand new content over the last month or so. It's because he's been doing some moving and these stories are actually going to tie completely into that. First of all, thanks for coming on, Zevin.
0: Jerry, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, you've been such a wonderful support to me ever since the day we met, and it's, it's, it's just my joy to be here. So I can't wait to tell you my story. I appreciate it. Well, Zevin,
2: normally when you move into a new location, there might be some unexpected house guests, uh, we'll say, and... Mm-hmm that's usually when stuff starts but your situation's a little different yours is almost uh, starting as you're leaving uh, your old residence getting ready to move into a new residence tell me a little bit about what's been going on the past month or so
0: that's right you put your finger on it so um my house in los angeles which we've just sold is a 1912 victorian craftsman hybrid and call it a hybrid because it has certain architectural features that are very true to craftsman homes like uh big front porch and built-in china cabinet but architecturally structurally it's a little more a-frame it's a little more uh victorian and you know of course 1912 was the the cusp of those two eras and As anyone who's a fan of the paranormal or hillbilly horror stories, I'm sure as I certainly am knows when you get an old building, you get a lot of human history. And when you get a lot of human history, you can end up with spirits. So this is the story of our house in Los Angeles, this historical home and what happened as we tried to move out of it. So, I should probably add as additional context to this story, there's something uh, kind of unique about my family as sort of more uh, typical um, folks, which is that my wife's best friend is a gypsy matriarch. Um, And now I know that in Europe and in some places, the term gypsy can be seen as derogatory. But I can tell you that for the Los Angeles Gypsies, it is not. It's how they self-identify. It's how the, it's what they name their language. And so, when I talk about our friends, the Gypsies, please, no one think that I'm saying that in a derogatory way. It's what they call themselves, and they don't view it that way. So that's my little that's my little uh, modern era disclaimer. But I wanted to tell you a little bit about her because it's unique to our family that we get to see behind the curtain. Um. Gypsies tend to have a very insular culture they keep mostly to themselves and uh you don't often get to see what what goes on in the gypsy community we're lucky because we get to go to their weddings which are phenomenal uh recently her grandson got married and I got to sit at the table with like all the heads of the gypsy families and I felt like I was in the godfather they (laughs) serve suckling (laughs) they serve suckling pigs they uh, passed a hat around for the bride and groom and literally raised tens of thousands of dollars of cash. It was just an amazing party. But I, I I bring all this up and it ties into this story because my wife's best friend, who's also my daughter's godmother, is our spiritual advisor as well and our occasional ghostbuster. Um, And so... I wanted to tell you a little bit about her first because she factors into this story as it moves along. Okay. So there you go. So when we bought our house, this 1912 Craftsman, it had been utterly destroyed over the years. It had spent some time as a crack house. It it then became illegal classroom space for a for-profit Korean university. My neighborhood's just south of Koreatown in Los Angeles. And that's relevant because As you can tell from what I just said, the house itself faced a lot of trauma uh, over the years, Uh, physical trauma within the house, just being destroyed, being made ugly from once having been beautiful and having a lot of uh, occupants who did not care about it. Then we came along and we bought it and we made it a beautiful family home. Uh, we, we lovingly restored it as best we could where we couldn't, we made it beautiful in our own way. And we lived there for 11 years with, with no intent of ever selling it. And then the pandemic came along and we felt like we were awfully close to our neighbors. This was right at the beginning. Nobody knew anything about COVID except that it was easy to catch. And, uh, we got a little bit scared that uh our neighborhood was just too dense Koreatown is about seven times more dense than los angeles at large which is already a, a dense city so what we did is we ran away to san diego my mother has a little vacation home down here and we basically holed up in san diego thinking originally that we'd be back in a couple of weeks well of course the pandemic dragged on and dragged on and we ended up staying here Then we ended up enrolling my daughter in school here. Uh, When I say here, I mean San Diego. And eventually we decided we loved San Diego and we wanted to move there permanently. Now here's where things start to get a little bit interesting. As I said, nobody really took care of our house until we came along. And we came to discover when we decided to move that maybe, maybe the house was a little bit attached to us. And beyond that, maybe it blamed me specifically, the person who had, whose family anyway, had the other house to go to for, for us leaving it. So here's, here's what happened. Back in July of 2021, my daughter and my wife were headed up to L.A. to uh, spend some time with a good friend of hers. I was in San Diego still. They were planning to stay for just a day. And about four days, five days after they left, I was going to catch a plane to Wisconsin to visit some friends. So they were going to go up for just a day, grab my daughter's friend, come back. Well, they went up. They left me down here. And once they got to Los Angeles, all these things came up. And next thing I know, they're there for four, five, six days and I'm catching an Uber to the airport. That was never the plan, but I I didn't think too much of it at the time. Then I come back from Wisconsin, some more time passes, and then near the end of August, before my daughter's school's about to start in San Diego, we decide to go up to Los Angeles again. Again, we're planning to just stay a couple days, but this time... We go up there, I'm pruning our fruit trees, and I throw my back out horribly, horribly. Now, I'm a tall guy, I'm 6'4", I have a cerebral palsy, so I, I've dealt with chronic back pain my whole life, but this was a whole other ball of wax. I was literally lying on the floor, essentially screaming every 15 seconds for about two full days and couldn't really move for about four, four days afterwards. And we ended up staying in LA for about nine days. Again, I didn't really piece anything together. Then another, when we come back down to San Diego, about a month later, I go up, I have a business lunch. My plan is to be there for just a day. I get up, I go into the house that night, my back, which has now been better for over a month, just inexplicably goes out again. I'm writhing in agony stuck in the house for about a week again. Again, I don't put any—I don't put two and two together. I just think I'm a disabled person who has bad luck with his back. Fast forward a little bit. It's November, and all of a sudden, our uh, my wife's best friend, who's the gypsy matriarch, tells us, "You guys, if you're going to sell your house, you need to get it on the market before Christmas." So that means we've got a lot of work to do. So what we decide to do, because my daughter is still in school, is for she and I to go back to San Diego. And my wife who is the the one who is tactically and um functionally really competent at things like organization and um logistics she's going to stay in la and she's going to ride herd on the packing up of our lives so at this point we reach out to a friend of ours who's a close friend of mine who's always been utterly reliable and we talk to him and he's going to be in charge of all the painting and the patching and all the little handyman jobs that have to be done around our house. And he's also going to sort of find other people to work for us and, and arrange the whole thing and be sort of our contractor. So that's the plan. So my daughter and I leave and this is all set up with my, with my friend who's always been the most reliable guy I know. And my wife starts to hires a couple people to start packing. Meanwhile, my friend this is a guy who i could call at midnight and he picks up on one ring he just disappears completely we don't we don't know what's become of him i i leave him a million messages i send him emails we're really worried about him he just he's just gone no word nothing meanwhile my wife is trying to pack up the house so doesn't really have time to find somebody to replace his functions as handyman and fix it contractor she hires the first person somebody she meets off a of craigslist just to help her clean and pack the woman arrives and she's a very nice woman but it turns out that she is a she's from iran and she's a doctor and in iran she was very wealthy and so she doesn't know the first thing about cleaning she was literally using toilet paper like a paper towel and and going around and and cleaning countertops and things with with a roll of, of bounty or not of bounty but of downy of of toilet paper and my wife finally notices and goes what well, you do, you don't do you have do you have any experience cleaning and that's when she admits that in her previous life she was a doctor and they had maids and that she literally never clean, cleaned a thing in her life so Again, maybe this doesn't sound like it has anything to do with spirits, but the emerging thing, theme here is that things at a time in your life when things are difficult, everything we tried to do that related to us leaving this house was a lot more difficult than it should have been. Uh, first, we lost our most reliable guy who was going to be in charge of things. Then every worker we tried to hire didn't know what they were doing. And the next thing that happens, my wife is there cleaning, and she's up late because she's got so much to do. And it's after midnight, and she goes outside and realizes that she's completely locked herself out of the house. And we live in a transitional neighborhood. Our, our neighborhood, uh, you know, the Food for Less across the street burned during the L.A. riots in 1992. It's, it's not the safest place after midnight. We've lived in that house for 11 years, never never locked herself out of it. She's completely locked out of it, not just out of the doors, but out of the gates to the yard. And she thinks to herself, my gosh, what am I going to do? She tries to call a friend, no answer. She tries to knock on our neighbor's door, no answer. She ends up walking at about 1 in the morning through about 8 blocks of ghetto till she makes it to the fire station firemen wonderful heroes that they are she knocks on the door they're there in one minute flat they come back they hop the fence they unlock the house she calls me down in san diego and i said to her i said honey something something weird is going on here i swear you know i think the house doesn't want us to leave and specifically it blames me for us leaving because the other house we went to belonged to my family. And it's trying to separate me from you and my daughter um, and make things as hard as it can so that we don't go. And I said, remember the first time you guys went up to LA and you were going to stay for a day and then come and down and take me to my flight. You ended up staying through no particular plan of yours for almost a week. Then the next time we were going to go up and stay for a day or two, my back went out horrifically and we stayed for nine days. The next time I went, the, just about the moment I walked into the house, I collapsed, writhing in pain again. Then we arranged this close friend of ours, who has been the most reliable man I know for for years, to do all this, help help us with all this stuff. And he just inexplicably disappears and we haven't even heard from him. And now you just locked yourself out and had to walk eight blocks at 1am through a really dangerous neighborhood. And my wife has fibromyalgia and she's still her knees and back are still recovering from that walk. This seems really, really strange. And she's like, you know, you're right. It, 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 it does. And I said, I think that we found this house in such shambles and there were spirits there from the year, all the years that the house had lived, the 110 years. And that we lovingly restored it to a family home full of joy and laughter. And that it doesn't want us to go because it's afraid. It's afraid that it will be, you know, disrespected, destroyed, mutilated, injured in all the ways that it was before it met us. And she said, you know, I think you might be onto something there. So she calls her best friend, who's the head of the Gypsy Clan, and and says, we think there may be spirits in our house who are impeding our exit because they're afraid of who the next owners might be. So my daughter's godmother comes, and she brings one of her tools of the trade, which is a thick, tall, white, candle and she lights the candle and she calls to the spirits and immediately the candle flame flickers three times no wind in the house but blink 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 and she says yep she says there are three spirits in this house two of them are grandparents and one of them is a child And they love you guys, but specifically, they especially love your daughter. My daughter's 10 years old. She's a a ray of joy in my life. And she said they have watched her grow from the first day she was born. They've seen all the happiness, joy, uh, lessons, everything that's happened in her life and your life over the years that you've been here. And they're worried not just for their own safety, But they're worried for her. They want to know that wherever she goes, she'll be safe because they have always watched over her and they're not going to be able to do that anymore. So, my wife assured the spirits don't worry. We're moving because of Daisy. We're moving for Daisy. We're moving to a safer place with better schools. And not only that, but we promise that we'll find for you new owners who will care for you and love you and that there will be children in the home. And the moment that my wife finished making those assurances, the candle flame snuffed out. And from that moment forward, everything that had been so difficult... Became easy. Suddenly, my friend who had been missing called me back. Turns out he had gotten COVID very badly. He'd been hospitalized, hadn't even been able to tell us what had happened to him. But he called back. He was able to help us find some people to do the work. Uh, we had been quoting on putting in Central AC to just help make it easier to sell the house. We'd had quotes all over the place, many of some of them were just astronomical like $30,000 all of a sudden somebody showed up said I'll put it in for you for 12 grand we had yep, not been able to course. find relo- yeah right <laughs> it's a 2500 square foot house it's a it's a amazing price we'd not been able to find reliable people who would show up to help with the packing all of a sudden we had a whole crew it was like everything we tried to do was impossible and every time I tried to get involved I was literally physically stricken but once this piece had been made once the candle had gone once the candle had snuffed out and the spirits had been mollified everything that had been so difficult over all those months became easy And uh, I'm happy to report, actually, that just today, escrow on our house finally closed, and we set a record for the neighborhood. We were able to sell it for almost $200,000 more than any real estate agent was willing to tell us was possible. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, each of these little pieces of this story may seem circumstantial on its own, but... When you add it all up, and end with how easy everything became once we had assured our our guardian spirits that everything was going to be okay and that we would both look out for ourselves and for them, I mean, I I'm just I'm getting goosebumps just telling you the story right now. That's all, that's all a hundred percent true and has happened to me over the last uh, three and a half months of my life, four months of my life. So. That's the so what
2: about the family who's moving into the old place? Did they have children and stuff? Such was promised.
0: Well, we don't know, actually. Initio- the first people that we gave the house to had, um, had five children, and we were thrilled to, keep, to be able to keep that promise to the spirits. Um, but then partway through the escrow, they actually ended up dropping out. Um, and a new buyer came along, although I believe it's a mother who was buying the home for her adult son. So perhaps the, perhaps the promise got, um, evolved a little bit, but we certainly, initially we had three offers and we accepted the one that was not the highest, but was a family of five, um, then for some reason they they ended up deciding that they, they weren't going to be able to buy the house. And so it went to another, another buyer, but it is a mother and a son. And uh, hopefully there will be, there will be children around, but we certainly did everything we could to honor that, that agreement. Nice.
2: What about the, uh, the new place? Are you guys uh, settled and everything now?
0: Uh, not yet. We're, we're, um, actively house hunting the market in san diego is a bit on the insane side uh but we did just put an offer in today for a home that is a historically registered home it was built in 1893 by a texan named roach and then sold 10 years later to a family called the porters who have owned it ever since 1903 uh we hope we win it if we do, we will be the third family to have ever lived in this house, and um, I'm rather certain that it's full of spirits as well, because <laughs> in any building that's housed that many generations over that many years, in my experience, pretty much has to be. So
2: I could be wrong. I'm trying to go off memory here, but roach is a pretty popular uh, name in the San Diego area. Am I correct? Wouldn't there some roaches tied in with the Whaley house?
0: I think so. Yes, and the porters as well. Uh, Roach was a Civil War veteran who built the house. And what's unique about it is that it's like a Texas-style mansion house, where it has a uh, has a balcony, a deck that goes all the way around, um, which is architecture that you won't see basically anywhere in San Diego um so he built the house in 1893 and then 10 years later the spanish uh american war kicked up and he decided he wanted to reenlist. so he sold the house to the porters who have owned it ever since and are putting it on the market now um and like i said we've made an offer and we sure hope we get it uh but uh that that remains to be seen
2: awesome because so thanks so much for hopping on and, and telling us about your ordeal over the last three and a half months and Uh, I hope your family finds exactly what you're looking for in your new home.
0: Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me, Jerry. It's always my absolute pleasure.
2: Once again, check out kind of murdery with seven Odelberg. Like I said, not, uh, not been a lot happening recently, but uh, you know, why now?
0: Yeah, I, I, I did. I felt like as long as our house was still in limbo, that I was very unsettled, um, and it was there were so many things going on just realistically, but also just emotionally and spiritually, it felt everything felt sort of clogged up. Uh, and, and actually, today is the day that our sale was recorded, you know. And just yesterday, Jerry, you, you reached out to see if I wanted to come on and tell ghost stories. And personally, after everything we've talked about, I don't think it's a coincidence that today our home is finally sold. And today I'm back on the podcast, Mike. So thanks to the spirits. And of course, thanks to you and Hillbilly Horror Stories.
2: Awesome, brother. We'll be talking to you soon.
0: All right. Thank you.
2: All right, guys. That wraps it up for this week. Thank you all for being so patient with us. And uh, we should be back to normal now.
1: Yeah, we hope so anyway. We love you guys. And we hope you all have a blessed week.
2: Go buy tickets to the Louisville show.
1: Yeah, come on.